0: Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles.
1: Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, boo. Yo, it. I did it, A
0: podcast with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I
1: love the movies.
0: Comedy and more from deep inside the Man Cave. Your host, Elias. Aaron,
1: welcome to the cave. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be in the cave. That's a really exciting, our friend. You got a unstable premiering uh, March 30th. You just unstable. had the premiere last night, right?
0: Yes, we had the premiere last night. That was a movie, man. It was a dream. Uh, I'm still kind of processing everything that just happened. I think it's going to take a couple of more days, but it seemed like everyone really liked the show, which is crazy already in itself. Um, and to have a body of work out there coming, yeah, that's just insane. It's insane. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I was able to watch uh, the first two episodes the other night uh, before we talked it. I liked it. I like those type of comedies. So for me, I, I get right into those
0: for sure. I really, I'm kind of into those too. Like those heightened, um, those heightened comedies that are also like witty, but it's not taking yeah. itself too seriously. Um, but you can thank Victor Fresco and Rob for that, Johnny as well. But um, yeah, their comedic sensibility really kind of shines through the entire yeah. series.
1: That's yeah. Amazing. So we're going to jump into uh, to the show in a few minutes, but I want to know a little more about you. I saw stand-up comedy. Was that always the dream? No, it was actually not the dream. It wasn't.
0: <laughs> I like to see myself as like a creative, you know? I'm like an artist in a lot of different mediums. Acting kind of was my very first love at like a very young age. And then I kind of started playing around with music. And then I found comedy when I was probably around like 15 years old. And I decided to go to my first open mic night. And I like to say that stand up comedy was like my first girlfriend because it was I was like, what is this thing? And I kind of just have been doing it ever since. It'll be 12 years in April, which is insane to think about.
1: Were, Were you watching stand up comedy and then you decided you wanted to try it?
0: Yeah, man. I like, I, my mom actually recently just told me, and I didn't even fully realize this when I was like five or six, I used to sit in my room with like a headset on my head, like mm. and would listen to just the Bob Hope tapes over and over again. I have no recollection or, but she pulled out like this video. She was like, you liked, uh, you liked Bob Hope mm. who just sit there and just listen and just laugh in your room for like hours of the same CD over and over again. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I was kind of the same way but with tapes. So my father used to take me to the library and I love stand-up comedy. So I used to like always take out like Robin Williams, like Steve Mar- like the old school comedy.
0: Old school comedies, man. That's my thing. As I got older, yeah. Like that's like that 90s style of comedy, man. Like yeah. that Def jam style. That's where it's at, man. That's like my bread and butter I think now.
1: Yeah. Who who are you some of your favorite comedians that you kind of look up to? Um, or you enjoy their their stuff?
0: The crazy thing is, I feel like I've been viewing comedy kind of more like musicians recently. So I kind okay. of like I'm at ebbs and flows. I really have been into Bill Burr a lot. Okay. Recently. Um, Ali Wong, I think for the past like five years, I've just been utterly obsessed. I think that she's one of the funniest comedians out right now. But in terms of like old school, of course, you have like Martin Lawrence's hosting abilities on Def Jam. mm bernie max like i haven't even seen that much bernie max stand-up has anyone ever seen that much bernie max stand-up i don't even think the man even has like a special out but he became famous for at least what i'm aware of just that def jam set and it's one of the funniest things i lived in chicago for a while too but i have seen that at least like 25 times it's one of the funniest things in the world yeah but yeah so, i'm my stand taste is like all over the place for sure
1: so so is your dream one day to have a netflix stand-up special
0: are you working on that or what? Thousand and twenty percent. It's been twelve years in the making. Um, yeah, I would love nothing more to have that. I want it. I want it. I want it so bad.
1: So I saw that you've opened for some cool people. Also, like who's been one of yeah. your favorites that you've opened up for?
0: Um, it's funny we were just talking about that. Dave Coulier. I opened up for Dave when I was probably about sixteen, mm-hmm. and then I got to open up for him again when I was seventeen. And early on when I was like just starting out, like a couple of years in, he gave me so much advice. The club that we were working at was incredibly cheap and they made me, a 16 year old, take him back to his hotel almost every night. So we'd have like late night drives and he would just talk to me about the industry, talk to me about agents, talk to me about joke structure, talk to me about why it's important to film your set. And he really kind of helped me build a foundation for a lot of the things that um, I have going on right now. The other person that did that for me was Michael Winslow. Uh, Michael Winslow gave me a um, a portable tripod that he had brought for himself. But after, op- after I opened up for him, he was like, I want you to have this. And he was like, just film your life and just have fun doing it. Uh, and he's a really, really talented, just a really sweet man also.
1: What's the best advice uh, those guys gave you?
0: The best advice? The best advice that I've ever received. I've received so many different gems from so many different people, but I think that it was Dave Coulier that was like, try not to think so much about the future, but really just focus on what's happening now.
1: Mm.
0: And it's a really hard thing to swallow. I don't think that really also even hit me into like my mid twenties that I was like, I kind of, I get it. You know, like we pull, jokes from just like our everyday and if we're constantly just thinking about what's next what's next what's next it's it's um it's hard to it's hard to be able to find material with what's happening right now I do think it's important to kind of stay grounded in that also okay. so I really appreciate it for saying that
1: I did see Dave uh live a few a few years ago and then last weekend he was doing 90 con, 90s con and I went there you should have seen the line he had no he's he's he's, he's the man
0: He's the man, and he really takes his time talking to his fans. Yeah, he's a gentleman both on and off the stage. He also works completely clean, which I don't think people realize how hard that actually is. Yeah. But he, um, yeah, he's a really, really good dude. He's a hard worker, and he's still touring. Like that's, yeah, he's insane. Cool merch
1: too. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so while you're doing the stand-up and everything, we'll push you to the next level for to get into the acting world.
0: Yeah, so to get in the acting world, I was doing like small like children's plays in my hometown of Kansas City at a theater company called the Coterie Theater. Um and the artistic director there kind of um pushed me and put me um into a lot of their master classes uh on a scholarship. So I was able to kind of take my acting abilities kind of to the next level. And then I went to Chicago, man, and I I was a part of one of the first one or two um, comedy major um, graduates of my alma mater, which is Columbia College Chicago. And that like, I learned so much about sketch. I've always been a fan of SNL, but really I feel like became a fan of Saturday Night Live from being in that institution. And like understood like, I understood the fundamentals of comedy, I, it helped me understand the fundamentals of comedic acting, and it put me within a network of some of the funniest people that are killing it in the industry even right now, even though we were just in Chicago a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it gave me a lot of building blocks, but I would say Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Chicago taught me how to grind. Chicago taught me how to perform. Chicago taught me how to tell a story. Um, I really feel like I, I, uh, I really... What's the phrase? Grinding my teeth. That doesn't sound right. That <laughs> Doesn't sound right at all. But you going upset.
1: So while you were in Chicago,
0: were you still doing the stand up too? I was doing stand up all throughout college. That's I awesome. ran shows at one point when I was in Chicago. I had I was running a show on the south side. I was running a show on I was running a show on the south side, downtown and the north side. And technically you could say the west side too. But I just had I was just performing like crazy. I was producing like crazy we even had a short little stint at Steppenwolf which is one of the top theater companies in the country yeah. and I um me and my uh comedy Collective at the time the Martin Luther Kings of comedy um <laughs> were able to uh put on a production at the Steppenwolf theater that was all comedy like it it was it was an insane it was college but it also felt like an introduction to the world of entertainment but also an introduction to the world of comedy it was yeah. it was pretty insane
1: Well, I know Chicago is huge for, like, theater and, like, sketch comedy. How is it for, like, the stand-up comedy, though? Is it huge there, too, for that? One of the best
0: cities for stand-up. It is one of the best cities for stand-up. Now, I really can't speak to post-COVID. Obviously, COVID was detrimental in so many ways. And a lot of comedy scenes really, um, really dwindled down. Like, a lot of comics either, like, either moved to a bigger city or a lot of them moved back home to, like, you know, save up on money because they couldn't afford living in a bigger city um so the comedy scene it's possible it it has changed a lot but i really hope it comes back but i hope it's thriving i mean it's just it's a completely new scene now with completely different people and a lot of them have no idea of all the things that we did just just four years ago but um but yeah for stand-up at that time it felt like a renaissance man Mm. it was
1: insane where's where's the one place you want to perform someday that you haven't had a chance to
0: that's a uh, – <laughs> you want the ambitious answer?
1: Sure. Go both.
0: <laughs> I want to sell out Madison Square Garden, man. I would love that so much. I've been saying that since I was in high school. I mm. want to sell out Madison Square Garden. I think that that would be an accomplishment. And um, I don't know if you remember, like, the Kings of Comedy. Oh, yeah. Like, their special that was, like, shot in, like, Madison Square Garden. I think that it would be awesome. I, I, I actually – when I was um, – Via via one of my friends Brandon when I was 18. I got to meet Dio Hughley. I got to meet Cedric the Entertainer, um, George Lopez, Eddie Griffin, and Charlie Murphy. And I got to wow. hang out at Charlie Murphy's dressing room while he ate chicken and uh talked to me about Jamaican prison. But, but being there with, especially DL and said, and of course, Char I mean, all of them, I mean, George Lopez, I grew up watching his show, but being there, especially with DL and said, um, it made me realize like what that work ethic is like, Hmm. what that lifestyle is like, how serious they take it. And it also showed me how possible it actually is. So to kind of like following in their footsteps to be able to do something in madison square garden like they did back in the day i think that would be just incredible
1: that's awesome yeah. that cool. and i was trying to remember when you said madison square garden too i was trying to remember who was the last person that sold the sold the, the place out was it Chappelle or was it dane cook the last two people that we won't talk about that yeah. i don't it's, remember it's, it's been style so long. That should not be named
0: it doesn't matter
1: yeah. it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, let's, let's talk about uh, your project now. Unstable on Netflix uh, premiere, you said it was last night. Have you slept since then? Are you still? Dude,
0: uh, I'm still definitely wired from then. I think I'm on like an adrenaline high right now, but I also feel like incredibly hungry, man. There's something about being in a room with um, like your childhood idols, but also being in a room with like people that you like. Chris Pratt was there, man. Wow. Like that was like, you're you're Chris Pratt, and like i like my entire like body froze. I probably should have said hi. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I am like, I just feel really inspired. I'm like I'm in like a place of like gratitude right now. I feel incredibly inspired. I also feel just incredibly. Uh, I think I am tired, and I probably will go to sleep after this interview. But um, I'm just excited right now for the future, dude. It was incredible. So, awesome.
1: how are you approaching now for the series? Tell us about your uh, your audition for this.
0: Uh, so yeah, the audition process was crazy. So. We, I originally got the audition like actually like right around this time and I like when I got the audition what I normally do is I like read the entire script and then kind of judge based off of that and after like 10 pages of this I was like I really want to be in this project and when I didn't realize that, Ted and had no idea that Victor Fresco was the same one that did that but it has one season on abc it was hilarious unfortunately i canceled i think that was a misstep but it was um a really really great show so i was just drawn to the writing i was drawn to the comedic style like the jokes that they were making and i was like i need to be on this and so i turned out that audition in probably like less than like 12 hours Mm -hmm. like memorized it i sent it to my agent's and then because I was so early, I had an extra day and I went back and I looked at my audition. And I was like, I don't like this very much. And so I went back and I did it again. And then I sent that off. And then I got pinned for the role. When you're pinned for a role, that basically means you're one of the top contenders and you get a director session. Right. So now I get to be in an audition where it's um, it's, you know, best case scenario. It's the actual director for the project. And in, and even better, it was the head of writer. Victor was there Mm. too. So I did the audition. Um, I was so nervous and, uh, it was fairly quick. I think it was like, maybe like not even like 10 minutes. It was like really, really quick. And maybe two hours after audition, they told me I, I didn't get it. And so I just kept living my life. Like I like was still auditioning at the time. I was performing a lot at the laugh factory. I was really cutting my teeth in like stand up especially in the Los Angeles scene now cuz it's post covid mm. places are all back up and i was just doing that and it's insane i was in one of my best friends Denny Love he invited me to a party with at mm, meta so and i'm still kind of getting used to the facebook meta transition that's a whole thing but we were at a party for meta and i remember looking around and it was all these netflix actors and a month prior, you know, I had just gone through this process. I thought that maybe I might get this show. And I was looking yeah. around, and we got back to the car and I'll never forget, man. I looked at my friend and I said, dude, I am ready to change my life. I was like, I'm meeting all these Netflix actors. And I was like, I really feel like you and I can do this. I was like, I'm ready to change my life. The next day I get a call from my agent, Marisa Panessa, the best person in the world saying they want to do another director session with me. And so I was like, oh, okay, perfect. This is awesome. This time it has some new sides. So I'm kind of taking some of the notes they gave me last time and I'm incorporating notes. It's been about a month now, so it's kind of fuzzy. I read the script again, go into the audition this time and it's much longer. This time it's more like 15 to 20 minutes and I'm really diving in, taking their notes seriously. And then within maybe, I want to say probably not even 30 minutes after doing the audition, they told me I'm one of the top contenders now for the role again, called me 30 minutes after that, and I booked the
1: role. Wow. That's amazing, though. It's incredible. After a month b- before telling you that you're not getting it. Insane. Yeah. What do you think changed your mind? Any idea? I have no idea. If I'm being
0: honest, I, I really, I don't know. I think I'm hilarious. And so, I like, and I, I mean, in, And as an actor, you kind of have to have that confidence, you know, and it took me a while to have that confidence. So with any role, I'm like, I really like, especially with the role I'm setting my like mind. I'm like, I know Mm. I can do a good job of this, but sometimes when you're just trying to get into the industry, it's hard to get that first big opportunity. So I think it can sometimes be harder for people to take a chance on you, especially if you don't have necessarily a, a large known proven track record, you know, um and I sometimes think it's just you know it's just that but it's nothing on them you know it's just making sure that the product is the best that it can possibly be but I think they made the best decision they could
1: so we see you on the show as Malcolm uh what do you what do you love about this character
0: I love about I love the character because I was able to take so many of my experiences uh, my first three years of living in Los Angeles and I was able to put that directly into the character I was able to I was able to relate to Malcolm almost immediately. I was like, oh, I I I have I have been this person before in my life. I know how this character thinks. You know, I've been an assistant before, I've been a project manager before, all in the span of three years of being in Los Angeles. So it kind of just felt like that. Like, those those three years were like homework. And I was like, I know exactly how to execute this. Plus, as I already talked about, humor is my bread and butter. And so it, it kind of felt like all the stars aligned for this character and, it, and made it to where I could probably make this as authentic as possible. And I think it,
1: I think I do a pretty good job. We see Rob Lowe is one of the main casts on there. Uh, how was it meeting him and uh, how was it working with him?
0: Dude, it was a dream. I mean, everybody says this and I'm going to say it again. I love Rob Lowe. And I. it's funny how those I hear that phrase so much. Whenever you say Rob Lowe, I want you to, this is just a quick, quick thing, right? When you go to a bar anywhere, if you just say Rob Lowe, at least one person will say, Oh, I love Rob Lowe. <laughs> it's like the first instant reaction that you have. I find that to be hilarious. It was amazing. He's a great guy. He's down to earth. He gave us a lot of great advice on set. Um, and he really guided us young actors Um He gave me, like, a lot of really good advice, like, like, like how to eat, how to eat and, like, being an actor. It's, like, one of the hardest things that you can do. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know that, but, like, it's really hard to, like, eat lasagna, for instance, and then also try to say your lines. So him making me feel more comfortable with that, I really appreciate him for that. But also, um, it was kind of nerve-wracking, like, growing up seeing him in, like, Austin Powers and, like, seeing him in Parks and Recreations. And I'm, like, Mm -hmm. this is... Like a, he is, he is now made a name for himself in the industry as like a comedy juggernaut. Yeah. So I was like, I don't really want to mess up. I don't really want to mess up. But he, he did a really good job of just making us feel comfortable and making us feel safe for that environment where we could just play.
1: We also yeah. see you interact a lot with uh, John Owen Lowe also. Uh, how, how do you describe that chemistry between you two?
0: I think it's great, man. Me and him are around the same age.
1: Yeah.
0: Plus like when it comes to our mindsets on the industry, I think they're very similar also. Um, He's into writing. I'm into writing. Um, he's into acting, obviously. I am into acting, obviously. So we have a lot in common. So the rapport was very was very easy. I think that we both had our eyes on the prize of trying to do the best job that we possibly could, and they did a
1: fantastic job with this series. How many episodes are we expecting this season? So it's going to be eight episodes. Eight episodes. Yeah. So when the viewers tune in to watches, like, what do you hope they get out of this?
0: Man. I hope that viewers get a lot of, I hope that they're able to feel the relatability of the project. Cause I think it touches on so many different topics that I think will resonate with viewers it touches on like family dynamics. It touches on like father and son relationships. It touches on workplace gossip. I don't know about you, but I love me some juicy gossip. <laughs> call it Jay Gossie. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just, I really think that people will watch it and be able to see some part of themselves within
1: the project. It's very relatable. Mm-hmm. So, you mentioned eight episodes. There's a specific episode you can't wait for viewers to watch to talk about out of the eight.
0: I honestly love the entire series, but I would probably say episode eight. And that's all I can say. I can, Which yeah, is the last episode. So you, to to the right. you have to watch the entire thing. You have to watch the entire thing.
1: Yes, but I'm excited for everyone to see it, though. So the uh, show premieres uh, March 30th on Netflix. Now, what's next for you now? Any other projects that you're allowed to tell us about that you're coming up?
0: Man, I mean, right now, I kind of have my head to the ground on stand-up. I'm performing a lot. Um, as of now, I've been getting more spots at the improv and Hollywood. Um And I actually recently just did a stint opening up for my buddy Josh Johnson back in my hometown of Kansas City at the Kansas City Improv there. So uh, I'm trying to build my way up to that Netflix stand-up special, man. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to earn my stripes and uh, kind of get used to doing more time when you're Mm -hmm. at the level that I'm, with the opportunities I'm getting now, not necessarily like, yeah, with the opportunities I'm getting now, I'm being asked to do more time. So I'm kind of just getting used to the idea of, doing 25 to 30 minutes versus the LA thing where you only get to do 10 minutes. Right. So I kind of have like my mind focused on that right now, you know?
1: Yeah. Aaron, uh, now how can the listeners and viewers find you on social media or website to keep up with you?
0: Yeah, most definitely. So, uh, people can find me. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok. Um, on TikTok, I'm branch boy comedy, but literally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you can
1: find me at at Aaron branch world awesome. Aaron, I want to thank you for giving me a few today. This was great, and uh, let's get you back on the show. That'll be awesome, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Wait. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. That's a wrap.
0: Thanks for listening to the Man
1: Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my Man Cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at The MCC Podcast, and our website, themccpodcast.com. Until next time.